From 1970 on Chicago's Lot Records, there's Denise Williams recording under her maiden name of Chandler with Mama I Wish I Stayed at Home. And live on the line uh, from sunny Los Angeles, the lady herself, Denise Williams. Denise, welcome to Radio Newark. Uh, welcome to England. Oh, thank you. So wonderful. So lovely to talk with you. You know, I love London, love the UK, lived there for several years, and you never know when I'll come back. Oh, very soon, I hope. I hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, lovely, because you're held in really high regard. I mean, you even broadcast for the BBC for a while, didn't you? But we'll talk about that a little bit later, if I may. Um, your recording career, you grew up in Gary, Indiana. Yes, yes, I did. Um, and of course, the you know, the history of Gary, Indiana, we've had a lot of incredible talent come out of that city. Um, you know, growing up with the Jackson 5, yeah. Michael Jackson. yeah. Um, uh, growing up with Fred Williamson, who was a great football player and then turned actor. All right. And there's several people that come out of out of Gary, Indiana. That's right. I mean, but you, you, your career—you've gone on to make um, 18 LPs, four Grammys. That's fine. But the the ironic thing is that you were never um, intended to be a musician, did you? An artist. You were bound for medicine. No, <laughs> I did my. Um my mother's, uh, my grandmother, my mom were nurses' aides, and I started in the hospital as a candy striper when I was 15 years old. Right. And I really loved the the thought of helping people, being around people, and and um, feeling the need, you know, feeling need for people. And then I, and so I just thought I would, you know, be a nurse. And so, and coming from a very religious background where. Um, you were taught never to sing anything but gospel music. Right. Um, was the other part of my thinking, well, you know, I'll never, you know, never be in the music industry. And, and also when I was singing in church, you know, my cousins, I grew up and they had these strong gospel voices and the churches would fall out and be slain in the spirit and shout and praise God. And when I would get up and sing, they'd get quiet and listen and cry. And I was thinking, I must be doing something wrong. So <laughs> I think the combination of all three of those things were the reason why being a, you know, in the music professionally and doing what I've been able to do was such a faraway dream. Yeah, but I mean, there's, um, there's only a small step. It's very blurred, the, the, the um, line between gospel and soul, isn't it? So it must have been a fair, you know, an easy transition for you. Um, I think it was an easy transition in as much as I was writing music with um, some of my uh, songwriter friends and friends from Stevie Wonder. We were writing music and just having fun. I really didn't think anything was going to come from it. And um, I really just, like I said, was just hanging out, making music in the meantime while we were rehearsing with Stevie. So... It right. just kind of happened. But be before the Stevie Wonder years, before you met Stevie Wonder, you actually secured your own recording contract with local la label Toddlin Town, didn't you? Under your maiden name? I did. I sure did. And that was a surprise. That how, how did that, that come that about? How, how did you get picked up for Toddlin Town? Were you singing in clubs or did they find you in gospel? No. Um, my um, math teacher oh, in right. the 11th grade, he owned a record store that was owned by a lady named, uh, he had bought a record store by a lady 
named Vivian Carter, okay. who was actually a big name in the industry and in the city for her record store and getting artists skills. And so um, he bought it, and I asked him for a job after school as a sales clerk in the record store because I wanted to make some money. Mm-hmm. And so he, he in fact, um, gave me the job. And I was sitting in the record store one day, and I thought I was alone. And I would, you know, put the records on, and the 45s on, and I would just sing by them. Yeah. And one day, he was in the back. He'd come to the back of the storage room, and he heard me sing. And he said, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that you could sing. And I said, well, if you come to church, you would know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so he, he did, you know, asked me to sing for him again. And I did, I think I sang by an Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. record. Beautiful. And he heard my voice and he said, I really want to, you know, some people to hear you. And I said, well, you have to talk to my mom. He did. And that's how he brought Toddling Town to the table and how that whole thing happened. Excellent. I mean, Toddling Town was quite a small label. So was it was it a family feel? Uh, uh, when I talk to um, Motown artists, they tell me about the early days. Everybody pitched in with everything. And... Um, you know, you might you might be a secretary by day and then uh, uh, singing back in or solo by night sort of thing. Is that a similar sort of a setup at Toddling Town? No, it wasn't. Um, I went. Um, what they did is they brought two people that I admired greatly, still do at that time. And that was Eugene Records from oh, yeah. The Shy Light. Oh yeah. And Barbara Acklin, who had written a song called Love Makes a Woman. Mm-hmm. And they came over and heard me sing and decided um, that they wanted to write music for me. And so they wrote two songs for me, which I went in the studio mm-hmm. and I recorded. So I never worked for Toddling Town or had that kind of experience. They found me. I was 17 years old. My mom gave them permission um, yeah. for me to record. Beautiful. And that's how my experience was. And those those two tracks were Love Is Tears and uh, I'm Walking Away. I'm Walking Away is a brilliant record. Oh, thank you. It yes, st- still it gets plays good. over here. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a listen. You're afraid to say you love another because you don't think I could take it. Walking away, baby, yeah. Um, so, I mean, other artists on uh, on Toddling Town and its subsidiary Lock were um, uh, in Anna Fay and Patty Hamilton of the Love Lights. Did Did you work yeah. with either of those? I worked with uh, Pat, uh, Patty with the Love Lights for, I, I, I guess, a very short period of time um, after they put out a song called "How Can I Tell My Mom and Dad." Oh yeah, how can I tell my mom and dad? Yeah, yeah. And I went out and I did a couple of shows for them. And right after that, I went away to college. I graduated high school, uh-huh. and then I went to school. Your final release on Lock Records came in 1970 with your cover of Barbara Mason's Yes, I'm Ready. And I'd just like to give that a spin, please. This is the story of an inexperienced girl who's fallen in love for the very first time. Lovely. Um, so, is that when you stepped out of the industry for a while? Because you went into civilian life, didn't you? You stopped recording. You did. I think you did six singles with Lock Records and uh, Toddling Town, mm-hmm. and then went quiet. Is it was it because you went to college? Yes. 
yes, I wanted to pursue my nursing career. Yeah. And uh, so that's why I went, you know, kind of silent. It was funny because um, one of the guys that was the drummer for the Jackson Five, their cousin, yeah, he came by my house and he said, oh, um, we just got signed to Motown and we're moving to California. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go to school and get my nursing degree. I'm yeah. done with singing. <laughs> So, so, so if they were moving to Mo, uh, moving to uh, Los Angeles with Motown, that would have been about seventy two, would it? Seventy one. Uh huh. Yeah. Fantastic. So, anyway, your cousin, the drummer, um, he was linked to Stevie Wonder, wasn't he? My cousin was Stevie's valet. Wow. Um, John Harris and John's grandmother and my grandmother were sisters, and so he started around the age of fourteen coming to Gary to spend a week with his grandmother Mm -hmm. and we met John and he would brag oh I know Stevie Wonder you know I'm working with him and we and I would say to him John you know everybody that lives in Detroit Michigan say they know Stevie Wonder you need to stop lying your nose is growing Pinocchio and I would just tease him you don't know him and the first year that I went away to uh, college um, in Baltimore Maryland they were doing a concert in Baltimore, and John said, okay, I got you a backstage pass to the concert. Uh-huh. I went to the concert, and there he was working with Stevie, and I said, oh, my God, okay, all right. You, I, you know, I take it back. Yeah. You're working with Stevie. And um, that's how I, the very first time I met Steve, and was through my cousin. Uh-huh. And then um, he called me about a year and a half later and said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm finding out that school's not for me. I'm not a great student for this science stuff. And he says, well, well do you want an audition with Stevie? And I said, there you go again. <laughs> he says, no, he, he's auditioning, you know, some background singers, and I can get you the audition. And John, uh, my cousin John, got me the audition, and I got the job. Fantastic. Tell me about the audition itself. How did that go? Well, obviously, it went well because you oh got the job, God. but it was quite special, wasn't it? Yes, but I was like the least unprepared one. I I walked in there and I felt I was like, oh my, this you know, I'm not going to get this. They walked in with their piano players. They walked in with music and they had a song and I had nothing but me. And so when it came time for me to uh, sing something for Stevie, I you know was very shy. I said I don't know what to sing, and he started to play teach me tonight and then he started and i started copying or repeating the lyrics and by the end of the song all of us that were auditioning were singing in harmony this song and then i got a call saying i was one of three that was chosen beautiful and the other two are uh, well-known names in the uh, rare soul circuit alex brown and uh, suze green who went on to be a part um, part of the supremes in the 70s so uh, i mean that that must have been a lovely time as wonder love and of course as wonder love you recorded on many of stevie wonder's 70s tracks like sign sealed delivered let's listen to that next Because isn't it right that you, um, as a group yourselves, you used to open for Stevie Wonder in his concerts? Uh, we used to open for Stevie, and that's how I got to 
discovered by Maurice White and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Um, I went out one night, and um, we said, okay, what song are we going to do tonight? And they said, well, let's do Free, which um, I had written with Suse Green and mm-hmm. Nathan Watson. Free is a great song. 40-plus years on, and it's still played on rotation here in the UK. So you were telling me about the night you chose to sing Free ahead of Stevie Wonder's performance. So that night in the audience, Maurice White and a couple of members of Earth, Wind & Fire were there along with their attorney. And so we did the song and after the um, concert, uh, the um, attorney came back and they came back and they said, who wrote that song? And I said, well, I wrote that song with, you know, some of the members here in the group. And uh, they said, well, we love the song. I said, I've got more. I can send them to you. And so I sent them seven songs that I've been working with with various writers. And those seven songs turned out to be my very first project. This is neatly produced by Maurice White and Earth, Wind & Fire. Fantastic. I mean, to have the opportunity to open to these big crowds, because you'd gone from um, sort of small clubs and a small record label to, to perform in for Stevie Wonder in massive stadiums. That must have, I mean, it's a, it must have been quite scary to be in front of all these people, but also to be able to perform your own compositions to, uh, to an audience. That, that was, that must have been great. What an opportunity. It was, it was great, but it was frightening. Yeah, I'm sure. You come from a small church with, with maybe a hundred people that you sing for on Sundays and and then I didn't tour a lot um, when uh, my Love is Tears or Walking Away came out because I was still in high school mm-hmm. and I, I may have done two or three concerts with um, the Love Lights oh. so I really had to been in front of big audiences and I was with Stevie for the three, first three months and then he became the opening act for the Rolling Stones so oh, wow there I was on, on the, on the, with Stevie Wonder and the Rolling Stones and in front of all these people. And I'm telling you, my knees were probably locked, knocking louder than the drummer. Oh, bad. And I was just petrified, but, um, really, really, you know, got the experience of, of being in front of people, but without the weight of being the person in front, you know, with Stevie yeah. and the Rolling Stones, but still, being able to, to work out how to be in front of people, how to be on stage, how to perform, you know, those kinds of things. And um, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah. But also being around Stevie Wonder, um, is that what developed your songwriting skills? I know you said you were, you were writing as part of the Wonder Love. Um, did, did, did Stevie allow you to, um, did, you know, did he take an interest? Did he uh, nurture your talent? Well, I think that the, just being around a genius like Stevie Wonder, if you don't pick up any, if oh, you're musical yeah. and you don't pick up anything, then you're half dead. <laughs> and so it wasn't that, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that he so much acted as a, a tutor as so much as an, a mentor and an example. Yeah. And I had been writing quite a bit of poetry 
throughout high school, you know, for myself. And with Stevie, I saw that poetry plus music equals song. Yeah. And that's what I learned, and that's how I began to um, get into the songwriting when I saw that through my poetry and, and the music that was just, you know, coming through us, um, being around a person like that, a musician like that. Yeah. Brilliant. So um, you you were saying that as part of this opening act, Morris White was uh, of Earth, Wind and Fire was in the audience, and um, and uh, well, you you sort of blew him away, didn't you? He uh, he had to talk to you and wanted to um, wanted to work with you, promote you. Yeah, yeah, they were interested. I I sent them the song, and I said I I know that Philip Bailey could sing these songs because mm-hmm. we have a very similar rate. And Philip could do these songs, and they came back. They said, "No, we just signed a girl group to our production company called The Emotions, and we're now looking for a solo female singer, and we want you to be the, our solo female singer." And I said, "What? Philip's <laughs> not going to sing the songs? Oh man, you know." <laughs> Well, you really stepped up to the plate. Your debut LP included this self-penned track that went on to be covered by Dionne Warwick. This is That's What Friends Are For. So this is 1975 and your debut LP um, was, uh, well, hit the world by storm, didn't it? This is Nisi, rose to number three on the uh, R&B chart. Number 33 on the Billboard chart. That's quite an entry. I tell you, I was so... Nobody was more surprised than me. I couldn't believe what was happening. And the the, the icing and the cherry on top of the cake was all of the love and support that I got from the UK and all of the other countries on the other side of the pond. You know, it's... You, you think in terms of home and being successful at home, but mm-hmm. then when you touch other parts of the world, I, I mean, I could not believe everything that happened with, with, um, my, my record coming out. And it was over, it was overwhelming, but amazing at yeah. the same time. Absolutely. I know it, it did very, very well over here. Um, so <clears throat> working alongside, I mean, Stevie Wonder and, and Maurice White are both, uh, top of the game. What was it like? Was was it different working alongside Stevie to working alongside Morris? Did they have their own creative styles? Sometimes people are really introverted. Sometimes they're really extroverted. Do you? What was it like? I Stevie is more of um, fly by the seat of my pants. You know, oh, oh I couldn't cope with that. We get on the stage and we, you know, have a certain set of songs that we're going to do, and then. He'd get on the stage and get creative and get to writing stuff, and so all of a sudden the musicians have to play something that they haven't heard before. We've got to make up some background parts or something we haven't heard before. He taught me musically to how be how to be fast on my feet, right, and to go with the flow creatively about what was happening and creating, you know, magic out of thin air. Right, so you're almost I, jamming I, then. Most, the most, it like a jam session. Yeah. That was probably the thing that I learned the most from Stevie, you know, it, musically, and just how, you know, how to be, um, you know, just spontaneous yeah. uh-huh. and let the music, you know, take you. Um, and he was that way in the studio as well. 
Maurice White was very, very different. Maurice was structured, you know. Um, you had to be on time. You had to rehearse three months before you went into, um, out on the tour because mm. of the magic show and all the stuff. He taught me the discipline. He taught me how to be a performer. Um, in the studio, he, he and Charles Stephanie were just an incredible production team that took my song, you know, and she had on a dress and maybe some shoes, but they put a hat on her, put makeup on her, combed her hair, you know, they dressed, right. dressed the music up and took it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned so much production wise from them, the layering and what goes into it. Um, singing, you know, how the performance of singing um, and being on stage as a performer were the things that I learned from Maurice. He was very, very organized, very, very disciplined, and and it was just quite different because Stevie was fly by the seat yeah. of the pants, and yeah. here I got a sergeant over here. It's disciplined, and we do it this way, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's incredibly successful. So my experiences with both of them were very very different excellent well on on the success of your uh, your first lp this is nisi um you were paired up with johnny mathis for a project now johnny mathis holds a special place in your uh, in your heart as a teenager didn't he and to everybody's oh my heart gosh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch johnny on television and i would sing i would stand in front of the television and harmonize and sing with right. him and I loved his voice because we both have a vibrato mm-hmm. and ours match. And so I would sing with John all the time. So when I got the call to do this duet with Johnny, I told him, I said, you know, I've been in, I, I've been in dress rehearsal for this for at least 15, 20 years. <laughs> I've been you were show ready. For this. Show ready on day one. <laughs> I was ready. I said, I've been practicing for this for years. Mm. Let's go. Let's do this. And it was just amazing working with him. He's got to be one of the most lovely, most humble yeah. human beings in the industry that I've ever met. Beautiful. And uh, whilst in the UK performing with Johnny Mathis, uh, you performed at the Royal Variety Performance, didn't you? Or by Royal Command. Tell me about the night you met Chris Charles. Oh, my gosh. You're talking about sweating buckets. I was sweating so hard thinking that I've got to sing this song. I got to, you know, I got to knock one out of the ballpark with Johnny and I. And then the the most frightening thing was going through the receiving line. Can I curse in these shoes? Right. (laughs) It was just wonderful. And he was wonderful. He you know, shook our hands and said how much he enjoyed the performance and congratulated us. And I mean, I never thought that I'd be in the company of Prince Charles, but there I was. Mm, fantastic. And uh, you were almost caught by surprise that evening, weren't you? Uh, you were uh, getting ready in your dressing room and then heard you were about to be introduced. Did you have a bit of a dash onto yeah. the stage? Oh, my gosh. John got nervous and, and introduced me like four songs too soon. <laughs> and I'm running down the hall to catch up. I get on the stage, print. Okay, God, slow the heart rate down. Let's do this. You know, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you recorded Too Much, Too Little, Too Late in Spanish as well. Do you speak Spanish? I do not. Not as fluently as I like. I have a couple of words here and there, but that was also just an incredible experience to know 
that there were other languages that we could record songs in. I'd never done anything or mm. even known that Stevie had done anything like that or, you know, or Earth, Wind, and Fire. So to be able to, for them to say, we want to do the song in Spanish, it's like, oh my gosh. So I worked with the tutor. I, I, I apologize to that audience. I probably <laughs> slaughtered the language, but it was done from the heart, strictly from the heart. Brilliant, brilliant. So anyway, then things changed a little, didn't they? Because disco hit the world by storm. Um, tell me about uh, I've Got the Next Dance. Well, like you said, disco hit the world by storm. And um, all of the record labels wanted their artists to do disco. So there was a pressure for me to do a disco song. And I was saying, I am not a disco artist. We've got to do this. And so someone brought a song to a girl brought a song for me and we worked on it and we went in the studio and did it. I had just not too shortly remember doing the whole thing with Johnny Mathis. Yeah. And then I ended up on a television show one day and I heard them introducing the new disco queen, Grace Jones. Oh right, yeah. Nikki Sue Robinson. Yeah. And Denise Lynch. And I said, What? <laughs> <laughs> I ended up the next six months, eight months, in more dance clubs than I ever yeah. knew existed in my life. At at one and two and three o'clock in the morning performing, I got the next dance. It's an incredible song. It well, turned out incredible. It topped the charts, didn't it? It, it got rose to number one. It did. Fantastic. It did. <laughs> there, there, that goes to show you, it can't be done. I can't do it. <laughs> Here it is then from 1979 on Columbia Records. This is I've Got the Next Dance. From 1984, there's one of the 45s taken from the LP Let's Hear It for the Boy. That's called Black Butterfly. Your biggest success, especially over here, uh, came in... Um, 1984 didn't it let's hear it for the boy that is still on rotation yes. that that's a, one of two of your core tracks on radio newark yeah yeah yes. i was uh, i was in the studio with uh someone that i love so much and i miss so much mr george duke all right and yeah we were working on my project and we just done a song called black butterfly which is uh which was and is still a huge success here in the states mm -hmm. song played all the time yeah and we got a call from my manager saying you know um columbia records they're going to be doing a film and there's one song left and they want to know if denise would be interested in going over with the writers and hearing the song so george and i went over to hear the song and um George said, we're not doing that song. I said, George, we're doing that song. And so uh, talking and convincing him, we went in the studio, we recorded the song, and we went to the premiere of the movie Footloose, where the song yep. was a part of the soundtrack, and saw that my song was the payoff song when Chris Penn le uh, learned to dance, and I sat there in the movie theater and I cried. Oh, bless. Uh, you know, when I saw him dancing to my song, I just, oh my God. 
And so, it, I mean, I, I, and I told Dean Pitchford, I said, man, I had no idea. No idea I'd be singing that song 30, 40 years later, okay? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the tracks that define the 80s. Brilliant. Uh, and then you changed styles, uh, or at least you moved with the uh, with the musical times again into dance, didn't you? Water Under the Bridge. It, was that recorded in the UK? That was recorded in the UK. Yes, it was. Yes, what, it so was. So what brought and, you to England then? What, what what made you leave the Los Angeles sunshine to come to London? Um, I was a big fan and still am a big fan of Boy George. Oh, and really? I wanted to work with... I wanted to work with his producer. Mm -hmm. And so I spoke to the label and they said, oh, all righty. And uh, I'd been in uh, London a couple of times, you know, doing Top of the Pops and, uh, you know, touring on the other side of the country. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And I I was riding around one day and I, and I was riding around in Chelsea. And I said, oh, I'd love to live in Chelsea. Mm -hmm. So Funny Cold came to record the project. They got me an apartment in Chelsea, so I said, okay, and working in the studio it was very, very different from working with, um, you know, going in and, and working with Stevie and working with Maurice yeah. White and, 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 and the other producers I'd worked with to, to come in and do that, but it was a lovely experience. It was very different. Well, one of the tracks you cut in that session was called Never Say Never. Let's have a listen to that. Lovely. Uh, how did you find London? Did you like English life? I mean, I do. I I, I do. I lived there for three and a half years. Yeah. As you, 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 we discussed earlier. Yeah. And I, I do love. I do love um, English life. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, um, was it whilst you were living in England that you um, you became a broadcaster for the BBC? Yes. Um, what happened is I. Uh, there was a theater piece called Mama, I Want to Sing. Right. And they'd been trying to get me to come to New York to do it, but I kept saying, I can't bring my children to New York. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to raise my kids in New York. But no, that, that's, that's it's very expensive, and they've got good schools. And and so, but then they gave me a call. Well, uh, Chaka Khan was doing a road, and Misha Paris was doing it. She's leaving. Would you consider coming to London? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I think I, I'd like to do that. It'd be a great experience for me, a great experience for the kids. And so we moved to um, we moved to London, and uh -huh. I was doing a theater piece. And then it, you know, we got noticed that it was coming to an end, and I was thinking, okay, I'll go back home. And right before that, a producer from um, BBC Radio Two approached me about doing a um, a radio gospel, show for them, yeah. a gospel, a gospel show, show, yeah, contemporary gospel artists, mm -hmm. not you know, just but contemporary gospel artist music. And I said, sure. Uh, it was called the Gospel Train. Then I yeah. turned around and I got the first script. It was Denise with the Denise Williams show. I said, oh, okay. And so it was wonderful doing a radio show for them because it, once again, it was something I 
had never considered doing, but here was a door opening, and um, I, I loved it and got to interview some people that I respected and loved, and, and it was a great time to do, you know, great thing to be a part of. Yeah, lovely, because gospel's always been your passion. The next track I'd like to play is one of your own gospel tunes called Somebody's Watching. Because, I mean, um, it was start, as we started the interview, gospel's always been core to your music. And um, uh, yourself, and you mentioned Philip Bailey early, uh, earlier. You uh, had an idea to approach the Roxy in Los Angeles to present a gospel show there. At first, the club owner wasn't, um, wasn't sure that you got the right idea, but you proved him wrong, didn't you? <laughs> well, we said, we're coming in here. You can serve the wine and stuff, but there'll be no drugs up in here. You know, we start telling her everything they do. We didn't want to happen. And he was scratching his head, but he looked at us. He said, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we did Jesus at the Roxy, and we were there for a weekend. And it was just tremendous, the people that came out um, to hear the music, to support us, and and really changed a lot of lives. I said, weren't the audience queuing for several blocks? The um, the club owner was was worried that no one would come because you'd specified sort of no alcohol. And uh, but but the, the audience turned out they were queuing for several blocks to get in. They were, and I didn't think that that was going to happen because it just so happened that weekend it decided to pour down rain in Los Angeles. Right. And I was saying, oh, God, nobody's going to show up but us and our family. And as I was coming around the curb in Beverly Hills to go down Sunset Boulevard, all I could see was a line of umbrellas just going down for, for at least a block. Brilliant. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And so it was a very, very successful weekend. We got a chance to do something that was on our heart to do. Great. And um, God blessed it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you won a Grammy Award, didn't you, for Best Female Gospel Performance on your LP, So Glad I Know. And here's one of the tracks from that LP. This is called Straight Ahead. I mean, there's, there's been a gospel yes. song, aren't you? You've put at least one gospel song on each of your LPs, haven't you? Yes, that's been something I've done from the very beginning. And so after a while, I wanted to be able to do a full... Uh, project of gospel music and I was about to do that but that turned out to be very um, successful because it was um, very difficult in in the American culture for an R&B pop singers to do that kind of music and then have success in the gospel industry they don't accept everybody and no. yet they accepted me with open arms but I think that was because of the commitment I'd had from the very beginning Excellent. of my career to gospel music lovely um so you went on to um work with bobby eli bobby eli used to be the uh, the chap running the house band at philadelphia records didn't he mfsb um he was tracking yes. you down he wanted yes. to work with you specifically tell me about that um, we decided to do a, a project he wanted to do a project with me and i love the idea of of singing some songs from the artists that I love. So mm -hmm. we did a, a, um, a project of covers on artists that I love. And I'd worked with him before when I was in the studio with Tom Bell. And so we had a relationship because of that. And 
And he was wonderful. He's an incredible musician. So let's hear one of your collaborations with Bobby Eli. This is your cover of the Luther Vandross classic, Never Too Much. Outside the music industry, you've also had an influence on your, your community, haven't you? Tell me about Kids of Promise. Kids of Promise is a program that I set up for kids that wanted to do better with, you know, computer skills, wanted to do better with learning about the incoming companies of environmental, you know, with the environment and, mm-hmm. and clean living. So we started an organization for that. And um, I, it's so funny you mentioned that because we haven't done anything in a little while. And I was just talking to one of my sons the other day as well. We've got to rev that program back up. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with um, global warming, I don't know, you know, there are a lot of people that don't believe in that, but I can tell you when it's, it's snowing in Nevada, Something's not right. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not in Las Vegas. It's like, oh my God. So um, I'm very interested in, in teaching more, uh, teaching, having computers for um, math and science, but also mm-hmm. to teach them about the green environment. Right. Is, is this open to children in general, or are you aiming at disadvantaged children, kids from poor backgrounds, or learning difficulties? We start. Uh, the aim was to go to kids in, in, that have poor backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I think, though, that eventually I would like to have it where it's just open to any children that are interested in that particular arena. Right. Is this based in uh, your hometown, Gary, Indiana, your birth town? It started there, and now we will probably continue it in Las Vegas, where I live. Right. Because uh, in Gary, Indiana, um, you're that highly thought of, and rightly so. They've actually named a national day after you, haven't they? October the 13th is officially Denise Williams Day. To- <laughs> I have a day and I have a key to the city. Imagine that. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's just recognition for the years of great work inside and outside the industry. Here's a track from your 1989 LP, Special Love. This is called Fire Inside My Soul. Lovely. So, are you? Uh, you're obviously still singing. Are you working on any, any new material? Can we look forward to uh, some new output from Denise Williams? I am almost finished. Not quite finished. Really, with my brand new CD that I'm very excited about. Wow. It's more of a jazz album, which I've wanted to do jazz for years now. And I think of you know everything that I've done and what I haven't done on my checklist. There were two projects that I wanted to do. And one of them was a jazz project, and I am almost, I'm about a month away from being finished with the project. And it's called You Are the Melody I Sing. Excellent. And, and when, when can we expect to, am, when can we expect to see that well, in the shops, I'm please? Thinking it's probably going to be mid to late summer uh-huh. coming out. And, uh, and um, I'm just so excited. I mean, uh, uh, I've got a lot of jazz artists that have come to the table that are working on the project with me and, you know, just lending me their incredible talents and gifts. And it's been a labor of love. And so I'm excited. Um, I'm going to do a big um, live stream concert for it um, probably somewhere around July and August. I'm looking to put 
together, live stream concert, and then to go out and do concerts for the jazz project. I mean, I'll still be singing some of the bigger hits. I'll mm-hmm. probably have to do a medley of some of the larger hits, but this is going to be, you know, Smoky Room, Smoky Joe's, just a jazz vibe, and I am so excited about it. Excellent. Is is that going to be on a major label, or do you um, you got your own? Well, I have two major labels that are interested, and I've been doing this on my own, so I'm going to look into it. I like the fact that I'm just doing it what's on my heart to do without yeah. a label telling me what to do yeah. and how to sing it. I, I'm enjoying that part of it, and so... You know, it's been me doing my own project, and I'll see whether or not I want to continue in that direction. But, of course, um, if I get a label behind it and they're going to do the things that, um, you know, as far as promotion and marketing and really getting it out there and exposure on it, then that's not a bad thing. No, no, not at all. The trouble is with major labels, uh, not that I've got any personal experience, but my impression is that um, the decisions in major labels are made more by, by the finance director than they are the musical director. Um, so, because, uh, of course, music's just about ma- making money for them, isn't it? Uh, as opposed to the artist, it's a passion. So um, That's right, mm. yeah. There is a difference, and that's the reason why I did not fine with a major with a record label um, to make this project it was like I'm going to do it myself I'm going to do what I want to do and how I want to do it and then if you like what I've done let's partner on it and if you don't I'll just continue to do it myself absolutely lovely Denise thank you so much for uh, sparing me this time to tell me about your interesting life and career and I wish you all the very best with uh, your forthcoming release thank you thank you and I look forward to seeing you when I come over Excellent. Oh, I've got one more question just before you go. But first, I'd like to play your excellent cover of the Royalettes. It's going to take a miracle. Um, I was interested that you're currently doing jazz. Um, I talked to a few other people in Los Angeles in particular, and uh, and they they all seem to be working on jazz as well. It might be, um, is it uh, quite fashionable at the moment, or do you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, the the artists have spoken. Huh. I don't know that it's... I, well, I'm not doing it because it's fashionable, no, but no. I'm doing it because because it's... You know, I grew up with Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, Sarah Vaughan. Oh, I beautiful. Got I've got some Sarah Vaughan. Yeah. So I, I, I got a chance to go to uh, Nancy Wilson's home yeah. recently. Bless her. Yes, I know, yeah. And, and so I, I had an opportunity to be around some jazz greats mm. and uh i had opportunity when i was with stevie to meet miles davis oh, you know? wow. and, and, and uh you know i worked with george duke and stanley clark so mm-hmm. i you know i had that exposure and even growing up you know listening to my mom's records i you know it, it so it was just it's been on my heart to do and I've been very successful in the pop field. I've been very successful in R&B. I've mm-hmm. been very successful in gospel. And frankly, I didn't want to imitate myself. No. I wanted to move on and try something new that was on my heart. And that's, you know, pretty much the reason that I'm going in, in the direction. Mm. You know, 
I don't want to be Ariana Grande no more. Oh no! Oh no! No no! Absolutely not. No. The the reason the reason that the question sort of jumped into my mind is that the soul stars that I've interviewed are, are now their current output is um, is more jazz based and uh, they tend to be West Coast as well. So it's um, I don't know. It must be something in the sunshine. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> lovely anyway i shall let you carry on with your day thank you so much for uh, chatting with me it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and yes um i do look forward to uh, opportunity of meeting you one day when you next come across to um share a bit of fog with us yeah i'll do that for sure excellent thank you so i'm going to play you out with a tune from your 1977 lp songbird this is the boy i left behind thanks again denise mm-hmm. 